0: Greet you in Jesus' name this morning. As announced, next Sunday will be council meeting, and Brother Delvin is going to preach that Lord willing, the sermon next Sunday. So you can pray for him. Uh, so I do not intend this morning to preach council meeting sermon. However. I'm going to preach an introductory council meeting sermon. And it's entitled How Should I Approach Council Meeting? How should I approach it? Well, so this is not about council meeting. I mean, the council meeting proper. But it's how should I approach it? How should I view it? Last Sunday, Brother Warren said that when he thinks about God, one of God's primary attributes is love. Is that a correct quote? Next Sunday we stand and we say we have peace with God and man as far as we know. So I ask you this morning, how is that possible? On what basis can we say that? Is that an ordinary statement? Or do we count that a privilege to say that? Do I really appreciate the ability to say that? What sense of God should I be having... When I say that, should I be able, or should I, or should I be able to say that glibly? Thank you. How deep should my feelings be when I give that testimony? Because How that's done has a lot to do with how God's going to view next Sunday's service. If I give testimony superficially, it's like, yeah, I have peace with God, man, as far as I know, and I desire communion, Sit back down, and that's just about as much thought as I gave to it. And that's, You know, I stood up and said the right thing and sat down and gave the right impression, so that's um, good enough. So, what would God think about that? I mean, if we all did that, would He be glorified? would would the service be changed in God's view if he knew, which he does know, that we all gave our testimony from the depths of our heart. So God is love. He... Loves us intensely, and because of his love, he reaches down to us. However, God's love is always tempered by his justice. So, how can I, as a moral Human being with my propensity to failure, my propensity to discouragement at times, um, how, how, how does that fit into the fact that that I can stand up and say from the depth of my heart that I have peace with God and man as far as I know. How, how does God's justice fit into that? You see, because if, if he was, if he just went by his justice. Then, when it came time to give your testimony, uh, it would be all empty because God would just dealt out what we, you know. He would have just given us according to our iniquities and our failures and whatever. And, and I, I couldn't say that I would be right with God because God says, you know, you're not perfect now. So until you're perfect, then we're not on good terms here. I'd like to propose to you this morning, the answer to that question is God's mercy. You see, as we understand the extension of God's mercy to me, then we understand The, we begin to understand the depth of the privilege of being able to stand and say, I have peace with God in my fellow man as far as I know. Now the Bible also says... And I'm thinking, and and I'm studying. I'm thinking of mercy. Now, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes eight eleven, because sentence against evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Because God doesn't, if somebody goes out and shoots their neighbor dead. That God just doesn't strike them down dead. Say, so, okay, well, that takes care of that. We knew who did it. So, you know, if somebody got killed in town, you just look around for somebody else that died. You know? And, you know, uh, yeah, you just found him on the street with a gun in his hand because, or wherever it happened, because God executed judgment immediately. So, because God doesn't do that, The Bible says we naturally tend, man naturally tends to take advantage of the mercy of God just simply because God doesn't strike him dead. And you think about that. You think about that. That that, that is a, a, a an, an awesome thought. Because God doesn't strike me dead, I tend to naturally get sloppy. That's what the Bible says. Unless God works a work of grace in my heart, I'm going to be naturally sloppy about that. and I'm going to think that I can get by or worse yet think I did I did get by because God doesn't strike me dead now so what is mercy Webster's 1828 again that benevolence mildness or tenderness of heart which disposes a person to overlook injuries or to treat an offender better than he deserves, the disposition that tempers justice and induces an injured person to forgive trespasses and injuries and to forbear punishment or to inflict less than the law or justice will warrant. In this sense... There is perhaps no word in our language precisely synonymous with mercy. That is a profound statement. There's no other word in the English language that, that you can use interchangeably with mercy and it covers the same idea. You think about that. that. There's only one word. It's mercy. That which comes nearest to it is grace. Undeserved favor of God. Well, what is that? That's mercy. All right. It implies benevolence, tenderness, mildness, pity or compassion, and clemency, but exercised only toward offenders. Mercy is a distinguishing attribute of the supreme being. And he quotes, Webster quotes, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty. And there's more definitions. So, we believe, and it is true, That our character qualities get out of proportion. Nobody in this audience here this morning, I'm sorry to tell you if you didn't realize this, that all your character qualities are in perfect proportion. But God's always in perfect proportion. Okay, my anger or my wrath may outweigh my justice, or my love may get mushy, uh, it's to the point where I, I know it's not in my vocabulary when training my children okay and so they suffer because of that and they're confused and they don't know what whatever you know uh, and, and so so but but God's character qualities are always perfectly in proportion if god gets angry it's not because something else is lacking If God's justice did something, it wasn't because of His lack of love. It, it wasn't because He's He's out of, He's lopsided. See. So then I, I I had to ask myself. So where in the Bible we're talking about mercy this morning? So where in the Bible did God's judgment? and I'm not sure what word to use here I'll use the word outweigh his mercy so mercy got to God's limit where it was absolutely perfectly the edge of God's mercy and at that point his judgment took over not not because he was wrong it's just simply there's a point there's a point in God's perfect personality where mercy goes to a certain point and then judgment takes over so I'm going to I'm going to give these this morning because of that verse because God doesn't show that to us immediately we're going to look at a few places where where God, man pushed God over the line, if I'm going to call it that. And the first wasn't, was in Genesis. Genesis 6, 1 to 8. And you can read that account, it's a very familiar account. What happened before the flood? Now the flood was God's judgment. Okay? His mercy was... Pushed and pushed, whatever. If you want to get it, till it was to the line, and God said, "I have enough." Judgment is going to come on this earth in the form of a flood. What were they doing? The Bible says they were, they were, they were marrying. the The people of God were marrying the sons of men. So in our day, in our time, we say, "Well." The young people of prayer were marrying town girls or town guys. That's kind of a simple. Yeah. So, the girls in church weren't pretty enough, or the guys weren't macho enough, or whatever, so you go to town and get somebody. The Bible says they had wicked, sinful behavior. And he says that they had consistent, prolonged, wicked thinking. The imagination of their heart was only evil continually. Now it wasn't like, I hated that mom serves eggs every morning. Alright, so then you say, oh no, I shouldn't be thinking that. I should be appreciating mom for making eggs every morning. No, 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 no that wasn't what it was. They, they thought continually, consistently evil. And the result of that was that God's judgment took over and he says, I'm going to wipe out. He said, I'm sorry that I made man. I I really am sorry. I, I... Unbelievable event. I mean, can you imagine now we talk about having floods in New Orleans, I think that's how they say it down there. Uh or or they have uh flood in West Virginia and and they have flood in Minnesota. And they have all, but can you imagine? The water is coming up. And and there's no high place to go. And after a while it's like The high places are getting full of people and the water keeps coming up and they keep crowding and crowding and crowding. I don't know, but I'm told when a crowd crowds so hard it starts pushing up in the middle and the people in the middle come off the ground. I don't know if that happened in Noah's time. But I, I just can't imagine. The scene on the hilltops of that day. Then you have Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 19. You can look at it. Deviant lifestyles. Un- unbelievable. I... I-, I- you hate to even read passages like that over the pulpit. I mean, it's so deviant. What these men wanted at Lot's door and, and what he offered them it is beyond my comprehension. And you know what else? It staggers my imagination. He said, brethren, don't do this. That term. Brethren. These deviant men at his door were his brethren. So obviously it would seem to me that the men at the door were, we would call Christians. Today. Why would he call them brethren if they weren't? Has some kind of religious connotations. I, I, I think. So that was another one reason. Pushed God over the line. Another reason is. Became obvious when Abraham was pleading with God. There wasn't enough righteous. 50, 30, 20. Ten, God says, I I won't do it for ten. And God looked through Sodom, he couldn't find ten people. Ezekiel 16.49 says, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness. So, thinking too much of ourselves, eating too much, and too much partying. Has our culture rubbed off on us? I drove into Bible school the other Friday morning, and there was probably $2 million worth of equipment sitting on the road to the racetrack. Campers... Motor homes built on semi-frames, pulling 35-foot 3 and 4-axle trailers with race cars. I don't know what six or seven of them are worth. Okay? I, I don't know. But then they opened the gates and those seven went in and these semi trucks with their campers pulling their race cars. I went and I stopped a neighbor and I says, What's up? He said, It's a national race. And these trucks kept coming all day long. And I was like unbelievable. I, I would say it's yeah. Probably ten million dollars. If I had any kind of a guess and that might have been low by the time all these guys got pulling in their wrist in their race. Too much pride, too much to eat, and not enough to do. What was the result of that? God sent a firestorm, of burning pitch, on Sodom. When God's mercy was pushed over the line. Then I thought about, if you're looking, this is a really, really close call in Exodus 32. Where they made the golden calf. God says to Moses you better get down there there's trouble down there and by the way they were playing rock music if I understand right they were playing war music you don't play war music on violins God says let me alone step aside he said, I'm going to wipe them all out. Moses says, God, please don't, please. The nations of the world are going to look in here and they're going to say, they brought all these people out, you brought all these people out here in the, in the wilderness just to destroy them. He said, for your own name's sake, please don't. God says, okay, okay, I, 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 I repent. God changes mind. Really close shave for the entire nation of Israel. Really, really close shave. Then, if you turn to Numbers 15, the fourth illustration, the end of Numbers 15, Moses has a members' meeting, we would call it today. Moses has a members' meeting, he gets the people together, and he says, God says that we should add to the dress standard. Now, how do you like that? I go over to church. Now, people, me included, like less restrictions. We don't like more things to do. But God says, uh, I want you to put this ribbon around and I want you to do all these things. And, and so he, he, he adds to the dress standard through Moses. What happens the next day? Cora, and Abiram come along and they said, Who do you think you are telling us what to do? The whole congregation... No, oh, by, uh, by the way, it was cord Dathan, Abiram and 250 men. So it was 253 men come to Moses. Now, can you imagine that? 253 men come to Moses and they say to him, Who do you think you are telling us what to do? Do you think that we're not holy enough to figure out what we're supposed to be doing and you're and you're lifting yourself above all of us and I thought about this morning the Bible does say Moses was wrath and he says to them, okay uh." come out, we're going to have a meeting, and we're going to decide, we're trying to solve this. And they said, Cora Dathan of Byram says, no, we're not coming out. There's no way we're coming out. Moses replied and I find this very interesting and sobering to me as a leader and he's speaking to these 253 men and he says to them seemeth it but a small thing unto you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them these 253 men, in our terms day were ordained. Do you think it's a small thing that God has appointed you to be one of the leaders of Israel? And that He hath brought thee near to Him, and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee. And seek ye... The priesthood also? So it's not good enough what God has said and you all want to be top man? For which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you're murmuring against him? This is not Aaron's problem. I'm the one that told you about end to the dress standard. They said, we won't come out. God said to Moses, step aside. I'm going to take them all out. Except you. And Moses said, God, please. Just because there's a couple and all these thousands of people, are you going to wipe us all out? God says, no, okay, okay, okay. No, I won't. But he said, I want to tell you to do something. You separate yourselves from these three men so that I can take care of them. Moses says, You come out, and if you die the normal death, then you're right. If you don't, then you're wrong. And I cannot imagine. Can you imagine? All of preachers out in the middle of the yard, and we're having this problem, and we're trying to solve it. And all at once, the earth starts shaking, and it opens up. Two hundred and fifty-three people, with their wives and their children, go down, and the earth just closes right back up. Can you imagine the horror of it? I don't think these people went down into the earth with their mouth closed. I think they went down screaming. I'm not trying to scare anybody this morning, but I'm trying to be realistic. I cannot comprehend. Unbelievable. So, I I think that would wake me up. So, they all go to bed and they get to thinking about this, obviously. And the Bible says that the congregation comes to Moses the next morning and says, You know what? You destroyed God's people. And God, and the Bible says God sent out a plague to them, and they start dying like flies. And and Moses says, Aaron, get 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 the censer, get some fire, go to go to the tabernacle and and make sacrifice for these people. And and the Bible says that Aaron got it, and he ran, and he made he made sacrifice for the people, and 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 it says God stopped the plague. Anybody know how many people died? 14,700. In the short time that Moses figured out what was going on and told Aaron, and Aaron got fire and Aaron got made to sacrifice, 14,700. Who knows what would have died? How many people would have died Who wouldn't have been for Moses Now I want to remind you This story is not given to solidify The power of prairie ministry That's not what this is given Because I will also remind you That the very man who pled for the people And stood between them and God Was severely punished For disobeying God's direct command. He was not allowed to see. The results of his entire life's effort. Of going into the land of Canaan. Because. God gave him specific instructions. How. He's supposed to get water from the rock. He got angry and he did it his own way. God said, No. You're not going in. Now, so we see these things that push God over the line from mercy to judgment. Clear stories in the Bible. So, do we ever, then the question arises do we ever need God's mercy? So have you ever done anything sinful? Or have you any had prolonged sinful thoughts? Like something got you angry and you mauled over it for a week? Were we ever immoral? Proud? Did we ever eat too much? Did we ever play too much? Do we ever disrespect God's authority over us? I hesitate to tell this story, but I'm going to anyhow. There was a Midwest bishop who was called in by the Midwest bishop body about some be- his behavior, and they gave him instructions what to refrain from doing. He came out of that meeting, and he was chuckling to me what the bishops told him. Ooh. Wait a minute. That is not funny. So then, Lamentations three twenty-one to twenty-six says, "This I recall to my mind; therefore, I have hope. It is in the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not." They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Folks, we're here. We're experiencing the blessings of God because of his mercy. So where did God's judgment and His mercy cross? I would say at the cradle of Jesus Christ and at the cross of Jesus Christ. The Bible says God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It was because of God's mercy that Jesus came. It was because of His mercy that Jesus gave His life. For me and for you. Do you deserve it? Folks, we are so undeserving. Why should I, who am so undeserving, why should I, who am so overabundantly blessed beyond measure, why should I have the privilege of testifying that I have peace with God and man as far as I know? Why would I have that privilege? What could I ever be proud about? But then the question comes, if God extends mercy to me, should I be extending mercy to my brother? You see, the basis, we're we're talking about God's mercy to us that allows us to have salvation through Jesus Christ. But it's also mercy... Only mercy allows me to say honestly that I have peace with my brother. You see, because the mercy of God, if taken seriously, will transform my life into the image of Jesus Christ and mercy becomes part of my character. So if... Mercy becomes part of my character because of the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Then if I have no mercy, what am I saying? Because it's our carnality that makes us bold, makes us brazen, makes us overbearing, makes us unforgiving and hard to get along with. That's our carnality. Micah 6.8 says, He that show thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with thy God. Proverbs 21.21 He that followeth after righteousness and mercy Findeth life. Righteousness. And honor. Colossians 3.12 and 13. Put on therefore as the elect of God. Holy and beloved. Vows of mercies. Kindness. Humbleness of mind. Meekness. Long suffering. Forbearing one another. Forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against, even, against any. Even as Christ forgave you. So also do ye. In. My preparation for the Sparta Joint Service Devotional, you recall I talked about listening. It has been studied and supposedly established that 80% of all leaders are poor listeners. How do you like that for a pat in the back? Eighty percent of all leaders are poor listeners. So, why would a person who is a leader be a poor listener? Because they don't have mercy. Right? See, they are critical listeners. So instead of being a merciful listener, leaders tend to be mercy less merciless listeners. And when we're merciless listeners, while the other person is presenting their point of view, we are we are conjuring and fabricating, and either verbally or not verbally have a rebuttal. So we're looking at what the fallacies of their argument is or their their position is. All right, because we're the leader and we're supposed to get ourselves through all this. So so if I can blow out everybody else's idea, then then I can lead ahead. Okay and. Leaders are famous for it. If I have mercy, what am I going to do? I'm not going to be look for the flaws. I'm going to be looking for the valid, strong point. That's what I'm going to look for. Because that's merciful listening. I get a business ma- magazine, of Maranatha, and I usually just scan through it and throw it in the waste can. Every once in a long while, I get a little tidbit out of it. And it says, as leader, you should share as if you are right. And obviously, if you're a leader, you should have fought through and have some kind of a valid contribution. You should share like you're th- right, and you should listen like you're dead wrong. So the foundation of good business, the foundation of brotherhood, is mercy. All relationships are built on mercy. They have to be. Because if they aren't, they will be continually in conflict. So I come to the conclusion That I don't deserve to be a brother in Prairie Mennonite Church this morning. I do not deserve that. I make too many mistakes. I'm too unthankful at times. I'm too opinionated. I speak when I should be listening. I worry too much. I don't trust the future of Prairie Church into God's hands as I should. But I will say this morning, from the depth of my heart, I appreciate, from the depth of my heart, the mercy of God on Dennis Martin's life. I am am serious. If I I ever told you the truth, if you ever doubted anything I say, please don't doubt that. Because what what do I have to go back on? Seriously. What do I have to go back on? I don't deserve it from you, but I'll tell you this morning that I deeply appreciate it. And I really do want to be a channel of God's mercy. Not to my glory, but to the glory of God. So this morning... Wrap it up. I thought we were quarter till. There is a glare on that for the preacher, and so if he goes over, it's because of the glare, and he can't read it right, so. Next Sunday morning. Do I understand that I desperately Need and appreciate the mercy of God. Do I understand that I desperately need and appreciate the mercy of my brother and sister in church? Without that, next Sunday will be superficial and probably doubtful in the eyes of God. May God help us to appreciate, receive, and give mercy like He does.